You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry from FMB Wealth and Investment, Portfolio Manager at that institution. Wayne, here I am looking at all this bad news and I'm looking at the JSC soaring today. I mean, what's that all about? It's not representative of the real picture, is it? What happens on the JSC? No, no, not at all. The JSC, I mean, these figures are very rough with one qualification. Uh, only about 20, 25% of the JSE is directly related to South Africa. In other words, the overwhelming majority of the businesses are related to the South African economic environment. Right. So one qualification is obviously we've got mines here in South Africa and that would take the number, the percentage up about another 10 or 15%. But to me, the biggest determinant of the mine's share value, the, the value of a mining share, is the dollar price of what they sell, yeah. more so than the environment that they work in. So if you take that one qualification, and of course, even other than the platinum shares, all the other shares, all the other mining shares are incredibly well diversified throughout the whole world. So if you take that one qualification into account, only about 20 to 25% is related to directly to South Africa. And there, it's essentially the banks and the retailers. There's, there's nothing else, really. I mean, the other, the other bits are so small in the bigger scheme of things. It is just the banks and the retailers. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the banks because there was one day last week, I think, where the banks really outstripped the rest of the market. And I couldn't find a story as to why. I couldn't find out whether there was one of the big world investment banks that had upgraded them or something. They're so resilient. In fact, I was Look, talking to Shapiro about this yeah. and he says, well, talk to Wayne about the banks. Don't talk to me about it because you're an enthusiastic supporter of the banks, Wayne. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, it's a pure valuation story. I mean, the, the top rated bank is about, you know, okay, let's say, let, let me rephrase that. Capitec is the top rated bank as, you know, as, as rated by the market. Mm -hmm. Even that has come off quite significantly. But if you take the big banks, I mean, the top rated big bank is a, is a, it's virtually a single digit price earnings ratio below 10. And I mean, that's, that's just over time, really good value. You know, if you look at the PEs, these things very seldom get down to seven. And that only happens during COVID or the global financial crisis or Nene or, or uh, Nene being fired and uh, Van Royen being put in. You know, so a, a 10 price earnings ratio is actually extremely good value. And so they, I think, over time should be trading about the banking averages should be trading about a 12 and the average now is about nine. So there's a good 30 percent upside just on revaluation. And then when you look at the actual results that came out and it's it's so far, it's it's, it's literally every single big bank that's reported has shown the same story, incredibly good underlying profitability. I know APSA had problems in Ghana and Standard Bank to a lesser extent also had Ghana problems, but even with big Ghana problems in APSA, they still showed 11% earnings growth and Standard Bank, which was a 25, 30, or I can't remember, it was something like either 20 or 30 or 40% earnings growth, even with the Ghana sovereign crisis. Yes. Our first round reports tomorrow, You'll see what they come up with. But if the other banks are any indication, they're also going to come up with double digit, maybe even 20, 25% earnings growth. 
And, and that type of environment for a company, and let's not talk a price earnings ratio because that confuses people and, and probably rightly so because, of, you know, a price earnings ratio is an incredibly blunt instrument to value a share with. Let's rather talk dividends. Dividends is cash in the bank. It's probably one of the most reliable ways to evaluate a company. You're buying the banking index at probably a 6.5% dividend yield. Now, you've got to take off 20% tax off that. So probably after tax, you at, I don't know, 55 5.25%. And that's extremely good. I mean, that is not quite, but it's, it's virtually the after-tax yield on a bond. Which we and of course dividends grow. Your bond yield stays the same the day you buy it, and the dividends are growing quite nicely. So the banks do look cheap. But look, the, the market has been changing over the last month or two. So when we look at at what's actually happened, is the mining shares were leading the pack from October last year. They were performing extremely well. They. The mining shares and NASPERS and Process actually took our share market above 80,000. The other ones, there was nothing, nothing really held the market back. But the, the true steam came from the mining shares and NASPERS and Process. I mean, the mining index went from 56,000 to 80,000. That's big. I mean, that's 30% gain. Yeah, but now it's come all the way back to seventy-four. Though, in fact, lower than that, it's come back to sixty-five thousand. So it's now almost where it was before the run happened in October, and the banks have really, after underperforming since October, I mean they they did well, but they underperformed the mining shares. You know, they're the ones doing the running now. I mean, the bank index isn't quite at at record highs, but well, not the banks, the financial index more correctly. Yeah. It's not quite at record highs, but it's not far off. Eh? You know, it hit record highs uh, uh, April last year at 18,000, and it's now 16,000, 17,000. So it's virtually back. So the banks have been doing the lifting since the resources turned down. Um, sort of halfway through January, I think, somewhere around Is there. this justified, Wayne? I mean, you're saying to yourself, okay, we're close to all-time record highs. Uh, the valuations are still relatively attractive. Uh, but the fact yes. is, I'm a little bit nervous because they're getting into territory where some of them have never been before. So how do you approach the banks? Because you've been long for a long time. Yeah, look, the valuations still look cheap, irrespective of whether the index is virtually at record highs because there's solid fundamental underlying earnings growth. You know, so even though the index itself might be record highs, the actual underlying valuation is nowhere near record highs. It's in fact in the bottom half of the valuation territory. Okay, but so of course, that's not the big decision. That That's actually not the big decision. The big decision is when do we buy mining shares again? That's the true big decision. That's, that's the next big decision is when do we go out and buy mining shares this is preoccupying you now back i know to where they, yeah. you're getting preoccupied by this now and I, and, and I love that because i understand mining more than i understand banking i mean for example uh, anglo-american platinum i mean it's less than half of what it was i can't yes. remember the time period i You've think you've got to start looking at that i think the, yeah of course yes i think the platinum shares are already at buying territory okay it doesn't mean they can't fall further in other words i, I think they are at valuation at decent valuation levels I mean, we all know the binding, the, 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 
the, the mining earnings that came out, especially the platinum companies, and you see it in Stillwater, Sibania Stillwater, again today. I mean, earnings peaked last year, and the earnings have come off dramatically. I mean, they're off anywhere between 30 and 60%, depending on which company you look at. But the shares are off more, a lot more. I mean, Anglo-American share price is now where it was three years ago. Anglo-American or Anglo-American Platinum? Which, which uh, one? Ang- 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 Anglo-Plat, sorry, my, my mistake, yeah. Anglo-Plats. Okay. okay. Now, now we, know that we know the earnings are under pressure now, but the market's actually been quite clever with these shares. Hmm. Um, if you take Anglo-Plats, for example, it's not valuing it at a 20 price earnings ratio. It's valued at a five price earnings ratio. I mean, that's low. So I actually think these, the share price, as you said, the share price has retreated from 2,500 to 1,000 where it is today. I think this is true value territory. And I, I think maybe we should start buying the platinum shares right now, even though they could fall further. I mean, maybe it's too early, but oh, they look cheaper. You can never get the bottom. I mean, there was a Rothschild quote that no. said that you've got to give the other guy a little bit. Uh, but uh, are you saying, um, without revealing your hand here, this is not a game of poker, but uh, are you saying that you are starting to buy, for example, PGM stocks? No, we haven't started yet, but the point is they are in value territory. Mm. So if you buy now, you'll probably be very happy in five years' time, although you might be unhappy in six months' time because they might be cheaper. Yeah. The, the bigger mining shares aren't there yet. So when you look at uh, uh, you know, the mining conglomerates, I mean, they have come off, but they're not at that value, at that value level yet where the, where, the, where the platinum shares are. Okay, so, so I don't. I think the mining shares have possibly got more to fall, but the platinum shares, I think, are already in value territory. Okay, that's a good tip. I mean, I've read so many articles recently that say that the medium term for mining stocks globally, never mind South Africa, are looking so so good. And when we saw that PMI data from China coming out, you saw the Hong Kong, the Hang Seng, going up nearly five percent this morning, and that's where some process doing well. But it just shows you the influence of a really good or really bad number from China has on the markets. Yes. Okay, they've come back a little bit now, but can you imagine if the Chinese economy has had a relaunch after the COVID restrictions have been, uh, you know, they've released all of those yes. restrictions. If they can build on this number that we saw this morning of 52.6 for the China PMI, thank goodness me. Yeah, you that's see, high, eh? yeah, you could see that's these commodities the going through the roof. Yeah, and then, and but that's more shorter term. That's just a, a bouncing off a very depressed base. I'm more positive on the mining share slightly longer term. Yeah. In other words, interest rate cuts the end of this year, a revival in the European, the UK, American economies, cutting interest rates worldwide, a fairly good economic environment globally into a situation where the mining companies haven't spent any money since 2013, 2014. So there's going to be restricted supply in a reasonably good demand scenario. And that couldn't be better for a mining share. Because normally the last cycle, which is which was the China cycle, the guy spent the capex like crazy, like there was no tomorrow. 
Then all of this supply came on stream into a relatively poor demand environment after the global financial crisis. And that's when Anglo-American goes to 50 bucks. And that's when Kumba goes to 25 rand. <laughs> now, this time around, there is an economic slowdown happening because of the global uh, high interest rates. And that, in other words, growth rates are slowing down. But there's no new supply coming on stream. So for the first time that I can remember, you will have in a year's time, two years' time, a revival of global growth without any capital expenditure and new supply coming on for mining shares. I mean, that's extremely good. So it's literally a question of when must we buy? And so far, I think the platinum shares are probably in buying territory. So the banks is just a, a good valuation arg, 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 argument. Yes, I actually think the tech shares for the next 10 years will actually be commodity shares. What does that mean? Maybe not to the same extent. In other words, they're going to be the outperforming sector globally. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Goodness me, South Africa comes back to the fore. The rand will revert to its mean of 16, 16 50, something like that. Yes. And I was going the to rand's talk to you about do exactly that. that. I spoke to the chief economist at the one, of, one of South exactly Africa's that. banks, and I said to her, I said, well, the rand here, I, said, I was blunt at the end. You know me, I'm a blunt person. I said, is the rand uh, undervalued? She says, yes, it is. I said, is it going to revert to the mean? She said, yes, it is. I said, 16 to 16.50? She said, yes. She agreed with everything. No one ever agrees with me. Yeah. But, but you do, because you have always said that it, we have these blowouts, and then it comes back. Yeah. So it's going to come back to 16 yeah, to 16.50. So yeah. You know, the last time the rand did this type of blowout, you know, the next stop was 13.10, eh? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it's going to 13.10. All I'm saying is the RAND has the ability to both weaken and strengthen by quite material amounts. I mean, the, maybe the best example is early 2000s. I think the RAND got up to 12 or 13, somewhere around there, at the, at the worst of the dot-com bubble and the worst of the 20-year co commodity down cycle, yes. just before China started. Right. Hey, next stop for the RAND was 6.50, eh? Of course, the next stop for the rand after 650 was 16. You know, the rand is an extremely volatile currency. But I think the, the there's there's massive upside on a I don't know three five year view on on the rand. So, you know, we just got to live through what we're going through now, which is more related to global economic slowdown and falling commodity prices than blacklisting or Eskom or anything like like that because the mining shares are global companies. They you know, they haven't got much to do with South Africa. Okay, I can see you're getting very enthusiastic. I mean, uh, apart from the PGMs, what about the diversified miners like Anglo-American PLC, yes. like BHP Billiton, like Glencore, all those yes. ones? Are they in buying territory yet? Not yet, unfortunately. I think there may still be some more downside there. But Look, Glencore's a little bit different because of their big trading arm. Yeah. But BHP and Anglos with copper exposure, I mean, copper Copper is going to be probably the best performing commodity of the whole lot because as we go into the digital age, as we go into the electrification age and dropping fossil fuels, every single electric thing, no matter what it is, uses copper. Hmm. And copper is in relatively short supply. There's no big new copper deposits that have been found that are busy just about to give massive output. 
you know, so, so copper will be, I, I think, one of the better commodities, maybe even better than the battery stuff, you know, the lithiums and all the other stuff they use in batteries, which I see Neil Freuneman is taking a bit of a dive into. I'm a bit skeptical. I, I think battery technology is going to advance in leaps and bounds. And it's going to be, a, I think, the, the current batteries that we have are going to be a little bit like a BlackBerry in 10 years' time. You've always said that. At one stage, I was thinking about buying a motor car and then the moment passed because I don't like cars. I don't like driving them. It's too dangerous. Uh, but uh, you always said, don't buy an electric car. And you, you had no, your reasons. The technology before. will leave you behind. Exactly. And then you'll be with the yeah, dinosaur. It's like buying a new TV, and then uh, six months later or a year later, your, your neighbour gets yeah. something, and you think, what have I got here? I'm just saying, I've got a TV. I've got two televisions, one in my bedroom, one downstairs. In my bedroom, I tried to get um, you know Netflix and everything. He said, no, nah, I'm sorry. Your TV's too old. You've got to get a new one. It's not compatible with this new uh, software. Get, and I thought, well, I only bought it two a- years ago. Yeah. Got to get HD or whatever uh, interactive thingy, my Bob. Yeah, irritates me. Whatever. Have to go downstairs but, now. Yeah. But it's the same with cars, right? Motor. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's not the same with internal combustion engines. They 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 essentially haven't changed since the first internal combustion engine. I mean, they've become incredibly more efficient and more powerful. But the basic principles are unaltered. I mean, the only real alteration to the good old-fashioned internal combustion engine that failed miserably because of its fuel efficiency was the rotary Wankel engine. But even then, it, it burnt petrol, and petrol exploded inside a cylinder that gave you output. So that hasn't changed. But electric motors haven't changed either, by the way for equally as long. In fact, I think electric motors were out before internal combustion engines or they're more or less the same time. Mm. So the actual fundamental electric motor hasn't changed, but battery technology has changed materially and I think it's going to change more and more going forward. Did you say the rotary Wankel engine? I'm I'm not even sure it's going to... Yeah. What is that? It hasn't got pistons. It's got like a a triangle that spins in a, in a round chamber huh. and this process creates compression and ignites it. So no, it hasn't got pistons going around. It hasn't got pistons going up and down. It's got this triangular thing circulating and it's an extremely high output engine yes. for its size. You know, before, before the, the, the advent of, you know, mass turbocharging, a rotary Wankel engine of one liter would have as much power as a three and a half liter, uh, you know, normal piston engine. But the problem is it uses it used three times more fuel. So when Mazda were the only guys who took this thing to production, um, you know, they've tried their best to get it fuel efficient, but they never have. It's also an incredibly light engine, small, incredibly small engine. Hmm. But uh, just the fuel consumption, they've never been able to get right. So. But as we come back to the story, a bit, a battery technology, I'm not even sure where the battery is going to be the winning gener- the winning store of energy. I, I actually think fuel cells might be the ultimate winner. So you'll have a, a hydrogen-powered fuel cell in your car that drives the, the, the engine, the electric engine, and then your battery will just be like a little capacitor just to 
you know, hold relatively small charge and be more like a smoothing mechanism, actually holding charge. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay with my bicycle at the moment, my little e-bike, and get taxis here and there when the weather's foul. And I'm going to wait for you to tell me, okay, Lindsay, you can buy this now. You can buy a hybrid, you can buy a hydrogen cell, a Tesla or something like that, and, and I'll do it. And I'm certainly not going anywhere look, near look, the rotary look. wankel engine. No, 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 definitely not. No. I'm looking at the copper chart now, and on July the 14th, 2022, it was $3.37 per pound. It's currently trading at $4.15 per pound. That's a fairly chunky move percentage-wise. Have yeah. you got the facility within your portfolio or in your organization to say, okay, I like these stocks and I like copper, but I'd like to have a little bit of copper as well on the side. I'd like some futures or some options on the physical copper price. Do you work that way? We have got the ability within Rand Merchant Bank to go on individual commodities both hard and soft commodities but the mandates for our clients doesn't allow uh, us we buy and sell shares we don't trade actual commodities okay so you've got no sort of hedge so division i don't buy and sell them yeah, i okay. don't i don't buy and sell them all right but um, we have our old commodities trading arm like all other banks will also have a commodities trading arm because all the big producers sell forward and hedge their output and of so course. every big bank's got a commodities arm it's yeah. a very sophisticated market, actually. I know. You go to the London Metal Exchange Week in London, which is a great big, I mean, everyone gets, um, you know, mildly intoxicated and talks nonsense. But in the in the Mayfair hotels, they talk about deals. I mean, the London Metal Exchange is, is a legendary place where, where, where yes. people, as I say, do deals behind the scenes. It's fantastic. Yeah, and in fact, copper is up 1.3% today. I'm going to watch copper now. I'm putting that on my list now. The, the dollar yeah. price of Look, copper. Look, BHP, mm. BHP and Anglos is copper. Yeah. I think I prefer Anglos on that one. But um, yes, I think. And also, I think I prefer yeah, look, BH... buying options on the copper price itself. Yeah, look, Anglos, Anglos I'm not keen on the diamond side on, on Anglos. I mean, I, I think that, that market's in a long process of just being commoditized. You know, the Anglos, you know, in the old days, in the old, old days, the beers controlled the world market of diamonds. Yes. Then the Australians discovered very cheap, small, small stones, a bunch called Argyle. Yeah. And they said they're not going to sell to the beers. And more importantly, the Indian cutting and polishing industry was just starting to take off. And at the Indian labor rates compared to the Antwerp labor rates, you could actually polish these small stones that were came out in abundance in Argyle yes. and still make money on it. And ever since then, I mean, this is donkey's years ago when this started. Ever since then, Anglo-American has become, well, at the beer stroke Anglo-American, has become less influential in the diamond market and now they're no longer a cartel. I mean, it's no, there's no, they don't control the diamond market at all. Those, those are days are gone. They're trying to make their money with the brand of beers and big stones. But I think this is just a gradual commoditization is going to happen. So I'm not saying you're going to lose value on it, but I think there's just the prices are just going to, you know, not do much. I mean, it's, it's essentially a luxury item. Well, it is a luxury item, and there's, I mean, luxury goods are in high demand from the 
ever-increasing ultra-high net worth individuals. Yeah. I mean, the, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. I wonder where De Beers would be now if it was still listed on the JSC, Wayne. I can't even remember yeah, the, the delisting price. What was it? 20 years Ooh, ago, I wasn't it? I can't remember. That was, oh, it was way longer than 20 years 30 ago. years ago. I think it was in the early 2000s, actually, uh, that it, it, it disappeared. Late 90s. It's maybe 25 remember, remember, years ago. Remember, remember the... The two companies were linked. In other words, they had this profit-sharing arrangement. The shares were linked ooh, in the early 90s. Mm. So it might have still been a separate company in the early 90s, but the share price of Anglos and De Beers, they were, they were um, linked shares, same as Investec Limited and Investec PLC, and there were many, many of those, uh, these, these linked shares where they had this profit-sharing arrangement so that didn't matter what share you owned, you got the same profits, but the assets were registered separately. Okay. And then the Oppenheimer sold out maybe 15, 18 years ago, and Anglo-American, and I think only the Botswana government, although there might be other governments involved, that is just Anglo-American and the Botswana government that actually own De Beers now. And okay. the Oppenheimers don't own anything in De Beers anymore. Well, it's a small part of the Anglo business, isn't it? Wayne, let's talk about other things now. Let's talk about food. I've got nothing to tell you except I, I don't know if you ever get a craving. Does your body ever tell you or your mind ever tell you? Oh, that my you, goodness, every day. You need something. No, but you need something. Does your body say, I need some omega 3 oils or I need. Uh, no, no, so no, potassium. no, it never says that. Oh, well, mine does. No, no, it never says that. I've had and this... mine just says I need chow. Yeah, because you're greedy. I mean, I'm not saying you're, yeah, you're oh, bad yeah, way I'm greedy. I'm not disputing it. You're not, a bit, you're not a binge eater, but you, you do like food. I mean, if you see food there, there's a little stall around the corner. You're not really hungry, but you eat it like you had the Burger King a couple of weeks ago before uh, the world's Ooh, greatest rugby fan had made you a, a, a delicious meal. But that's, that's just you. Yeah. It's not me. I'm not a greedy person. I'm not a glutton. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I went to the fishmonger today because I had this I had this craving for salmon. I thought, my body needs omega-3 salmon oil. So I went there and I said to the nice uh, lady, I said, look, have you got any wild salmon? She said, no, you must be mad. If We bought some wild salmon about a month ago and it was so expensive that no one would buy it. So we just had to eat it ourselves. So I bought this farm salmon. It looks very good. I must admit, I'm having it tonight. I'm going to poach it with some green beans. But, um, yeah, and Shapiro was saying last night about when he goes to a restaurant, which he does very often, of course, because he likes to be seen yes. and likes to talk to waitresses and stuff, um, he said yes. that the fish is always more expensive than meat on the menu. Have you found that? Look, I very seldom would order fish in the restaurant. I do eat fish, yes, but at, at, I, I, I way prefer shellfish, yeah. and that is more expensive. And yet there was a stage... 20 years ago where prawns were half the price of a steak. Yeah. Uh, but obviously those days are gone. Now, look, I, when I, the reason why I'm overweight is not because I eat massive amounts of food. I truly don't. It's because you're old. My big problem is, is 8 o'clock at night time. Uh, so you've had your dinner half past 6, 7, mm -hmm. 8, half past 8. I get a sweet tooth craving and mm. If there's anything in the house, biscuits. It probably won't. It probably won't see out the African night. Chocolates. And if I could just suppress that, 
And it only lasts about half an hour. Wine gums. So on the odd occasion where there was absolutely nothing to eat, mm. it, the, you know, the, that, that craving does disappear. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, last night was quite desperate at our house. There was a, a tub of yogurt. <laughs> yeah. I tried that. Why? Then there was a little bit. Of, it was a couple, it was a little, couple of teaspoons of Milo in the bottom of a tin. I mixed that with milk. I drank that. There were like four Mori biscuits. I put some butter on the Mori biscuits with a bit of Marmite. I chowed that. And there was nothing else. You know, unless I was going to actually cook something, there was nothing else conveniently available. Okay, let me just get this this straight. Last night at around about 8 o'clock, having eaten at half past six, seven, you ate the, the yogurt in your fridge, you got the Mari biscuits yes. out, and you put butter and Marmite on them, and there was something else as yes. well, which I've missed. What was that? What was the that? Milo and the milk. I made, I made like, a, like a milkshake out of Milo, okay. flavoured milk out of Milo. You live with your partner, right? And they had a packet of knickknacks. Oh, let me write that down as well, the knickknacks. Um, you live with your partner. Don't, between the two of you, 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 you keep a, a larder stocked with stuff? No, 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 no. She, she keeps a larder, but she keeps it in a hidden place. Ah. In case we get guests coming in, she wants to offer them a biscuit or a little chocolate or something nice, because she knows if it's in the house and I'm around, it probably won't survive. So <clears> she has she has a, a hiding place for snacks, and it's called the Forbidden Zone oh, yeah. because I'm not allowed to go in there. But you know where it is. She knows. If, if, uh, of course I know where it is, but under threat of death if I attack the for, going to the Forbidden Zone. So she says she's got to keep it out of harm's way, and I'm, that, that's my name when I'm looking for food is harm. So yes, so so the world, the world's biggest rugby fan actually has a little. Because she's not a big snacker. She has a little stash there in case her friends or friends come around, mm. or or as happens quite often, the chaps come, the municipal guys come to fix a burst water pipe, and then she can and she gives them take biscuits. them some tea and give them biscuits and okay. stuff like that. But your Saturday was a big day at our house, rugby. Because once a month it's KFC. No, no, rugby. There's serious rugby coming up with the Springbok Tour and the Rugby World Cup. But that's all in August. There's, there's literally August, there's literally rugby from August to October, just about. Then no, no, Saturday was KFC Saturday. What does that which mean? Happens once a month. For Saturday lunchtime, our our domestic help and the gardener mm. and the world's biggest rugby fan Here and the go. dog mm. have KFC. Not Nando's. And not not Nando's, no, no. I actually prefer Nando's. We have Nando's every year at our annual year in party at the garage. Right. I asked the guys, what do you want? KFC, Nando's. Chicken licking. Uh, Burger King, chicken licking, what do you want? It was overwhelmingly Nando's. Nando's. That's it. I like your people. And it's delicious, eh? Whew. And you know the best thing about Nando's is if you get the super ultra, ultra hot one. And I actually found out looking through Nando's <clears throat> brochure, there was an article on Nando's. Yes, there are hotter Nando's available at other in, in other countries. There's a super ultra hot one that's not available on the South African menu. But anyway, that's, that doesn't matter. Mm. When you order the super super hot Nando's in South Africa. 
your first couple of bites, you say, oh, this is hot. Eh? Mm. But then by the end of that piece of chicken, you're just loving it and you just I want love it. I love it. No, it's, it is delicious. Of course, it started in the, the um, what was that Portuguese food and cultural festival in the south? It used to be, I don't know. Yes, I'll think of it es, now. Es, I know Esposito it, land or something. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, it's Lucita. Lucita, yeah, land. I know, I'm getting the, the name wrong. And they started with a stall there. And then they listed on the JSC. And I think they delisted at something like one rand fifty a share. And they went private. And my goodness me, those clever chaps that made that have made yeah, a fortune. Actually, I actually went to Lucita land once to go and get good Portuguese chow. Mm. Now it was the middle of winter, damn it, it was cold. Eh? And, you, and you're in sort of somewhere around Emerentia Dam type of place. Yeah. But I thought, no, no, it's fine, I'll go. But it was fit, was absolutely freezing. So I went inside and, and the whole place was very festive, lots of parties going on, yeah. everything. So I went to what looked like a, a, a good genuine Portuguese restaurant. You know, you weren't, it wasn't, there were a few fancy ones where you sat at tables. Mm. This one just had trestle tables with like bench seats. So I thought this is maybe the most authentic one. And I went and bought some prawns and whatever, some peri-peri chicken. But they served it to you in polystyrene takeaways, which I didn't see beforehand. And it actually wasn't that good. Oh. And, and I love Portuguese food, as you know. I mean, I go, the overwhelming majority of restaurants I go to are Portuguese. Hmm. But I was a little bit disappointed with Lucito Land, and I, and I never went back to it. Oh, okay. Well, that was many years ago, and that was what launched Nando's because they were so successful. But anyway, Wayne, I'm hungry, as usual, yeah. after every Wednesday um, when I speak to you. I don't know what to have to. I've got my salmon tonight. Yeah, I'm going to poach that with some green beans. Anyway. Oh, you're lucky. Wayne, thank you very much for your time. That's Wayne McCurry okay. from FMB Wealth and Investment, Portfolio Manager at that institution. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.